Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. We're excited to have Yusef joining us this morning. We'll tell you more about him in just a minute. Um, But we've had a lot going on at Red Letter Christians. We've been uh, doing a bunch of uh, work trying to call for peace and call for uh, a ceasefire, release of the hostages, an end to the escalating violence, and the, I mean, really the, the massacring of, of children and families in Gaza, and we're going to certainly pray about that and and uh, talk about ways that we can take action together right now. Um, but if you haven't captured it, you know, over the last month, we um, had uh, our, our uh Friend Munther Isaac was our prayer guest last month. Uh, Mitri Raheb was our book club guest. So we, we read his, uh, talked about a couple of his books, incredible uh, writing that he's done. We've got a letter from Palestinian Christian leaders. Um, Youssef has been a, a big part of that as well. Um, drafting a letter calling us to action um, out those of us that are outside of um, the uh, Palestine and Israel to 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 be faithful to Jesus <laughs> to, to call for peace and so that's a really uh, powerful um, uh, letter that you can see on our website um, and if you haven't seen um, we we released this icon which is an original painting from Kelly Lattimore. Uh, who's been a friend and partner. And this was inspired by the work of our, our friends there um, uh, in, in, in Palestine that um, Munther said, you know, when he was asked, where is God in this war? He said, God is uh, under the rubble. Christ came into the rubble. Uh, and also a reminder that Jesus came with brown skin as a Palestinian Jewish refugee born in the middle of a genocide. So this piece by Kelly is powerful. You can um, still get it. We were hoping to raise like $10,000 and we raised uh, $120,000 now or more. That's all going over to, we're, we're right now compiling a list of all the different groups specifically working on the ground in Gaza. Uh, and and uh, our friends over there will be helping us come up with a list of how we can best, um, you know, get that money out. But we need to show up in other ways and just give them money. We've got to we've got to do everything we can to put our bodies, to put our voices, to make phone calls, to do what we can to stop this violence. So, uh, as we remember the the Prince of Peace born this this season of Christmas, we uh, need to be faithful to trying to um, call for that peace and build that peace in the world. So. I'm going to get out of the way as we uh, join our prayer this month. You know, we usually kind of do the month at a glance. Jonathan, we got all kinds of people we remember this month. We remember uh, Gandhi was killed uh, January 30th. We remember his movement, his last um, fast this month. We remember Brother Lawrence and uh, Martin Luther King was uh, was born in January. So his birthday celebrated this month. We remember him in common prayer Anthony, Saint Anthony of Egypt, uh, we we remember, um, and, and all kinds of other great folks. Basil, 
Martin Luther. We remember the Quakers abolishing slavery way ahead of many others that were uh, behind them in that. Um, Epiphany's coming up. And we also remember some some big dates for um, the movement for justice and freedom for everyone. We remember Roe versus Wade on the 22nd of this month, the very big court case that we've hosted two town halls around as well, you can find. Um, and we remember the occupation of Hawaii uh, that was taken over on January 18th, 1893. Um, the Salvadoran Peace Accords after like 12 years of war and 75,000 lives lost. Um, El Salvador had their peace accords signed on the 16th. So join us, not just on January 1st, but every day as we pray together this new year. Uh, and today on January 1st, we will begin with prayer and then introduce Yousef and have a great conversation. I love the liturgical imagination this time of year because, you know, Epiphany is the season of light. And it mm. comes it comes during the, you know, darkest days of the year, you know, when the when the daylight is the least. And uh, it, we had watch night service last night and uh, Reverend Barber was preaching. I love what he said. He said uh, he said, you know, it's really dark at midnight. But if you make it to one minute after midnight, it's already morning. Glory. <laughs> <laughs> so in that spirit, let's pray this January 1st. In 1788, Quakers in Pennsylvania freed their slaves anticipating the emancipation of chattel slaves in the United States some 75 years later. Together with free blacks, abolitionist evangelicals, and slaves who were willing to risk their lives, Quakers led one of America's most vibrant faith-based justice movements, the Underground Railroad. Committed to simplicity, religious freedom, and nonviolence, Quakers have contributed to movements for peace and justice throughout U.S. history. O oh Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. O oh Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Jesus, teach us not to shun what is of God in everyone. And this is Psalm 7. Awake, O my God, decree justice. Let the assembly of the peoples gather round you. Be seated on your Lofty throne, O Most High, O Lord, judge the nations. Give judgment for me according to my righteousness, O Lord, and according to my innocence, O Most High. Let the malice of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous. For you test the mind and heart, O righteous God. God is my shield and defense. God is the Savior of the true in heart. God is a righteous judge. God sits in judgment every day. Jesus, teach us not to shun 
what is of God in everyone. Our reading this morning comes from Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot, and all of the possessions that they had gathered, and the persons whom they had acquired in Haran, and they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. When they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land of the place at Shechem to the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Jesus, teach us not to shine what is of God in everyone. George Fox, founder of the Religious Society of Friends, wrote, People must be led out of captivity up to God. Be patterns, be examples, that your carriage and life may preach among all sorts of people and to them. Then you will come to walk cheerfully over the world, answering that of God in everyone. All right. Well, this is where we get to to pause for a minute and uh, during this time of prayer for others and and talk with with, with uh, a friend. So, uh, Yusuf, thank you for. I know you've got a lot going on right now, and um, thank you for for carving out some some space to pray with us, but also to share your heart with us. And you're also uh, so you you've been doing all kinds of work over there. I think we've connected through friends that have been um, doing great theology and also some of the most ancient roots of Christianity that you are building on there in the West Bank and um, in in that region. And um, I think we've, we, we've I've, I've been so encouraged by the times I've been over there, you know, all over from Nazareth down through the Dead Sea to Bethlehem, Jerusalem, Hebron. Um, and um, it's really brought my faith to life. And so obviously we have a very heavy heart right now as we join together for prayer, but um, I'm grateful, you know, for you for, for doing the theology with your head, but also bringing your whole heart today to share with us. You're in the middle of a dissertation. You're doing good theology, <laughs> which we need some good theology these days. So we'll hear all about that. But uh, um, thank you, brother, for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's an encouragement uh, to join you and the first day of the year. Absolutely. I would, since, you know, since many people who aren't with us this morning haven't met you, and this is my first time meeting as well, I, I wonder if you just share a little bit of your own just background and your faith journey. Uh, yes. So my name is Yusuf Al-Khuri, which literally means Joseph the Priest. Uh, I come from a family that has a long history. And There's a name to live history. into. 
<laughs> it's very difficult, right? <laughs> Daunting task. Uh, but by God's grace. So my family comes from a priestly um, heritage that has at least 800, 900 years in the priesthood of the Orthodox Church. Uh, some people who meet me, especially from the U.S., ask, you know, how as Palestinian and Arab I converted to Christianity. And I tell them that my bedroom and the house where I grew up was built around the early 5th century, late 4th, early 5th century. Um, so my family comes from that tradition, which also uh, is comes with a mission for me personally to carry on being faithful to God and to the great mission of the kingdom of God on my, in my country, but also in the entire world. I teach at Bethlehem Bible College in uh, biblical studies. I'm completing my doctoral uh, dissertation in the Netherlands at the Vrije University of Amsterdam, focusing on the concept of the kingdom versus empires, how Palestinian Christians who live under the Israeli imperial occupation and colonization understand Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom in the Synoptic mm. Gospels. Mm. And it's fascinating, um, honestly, uh, especially in these times where I finished writing and preparing for defense, but reflecting back to see that the Palestinian people have been an example and uh, embodied the message of Jesus, the proclamation of the kingdom, because they stand on that truth and uh, the ground which calls for peaceful, creative, nonviolent resistance mm. to occupying power because the message of the kingdom of God is not supposed to be confused with the power and dominance of empires. Mm. But with that being said, Palestinian Christians don't see the empire as irredeemable um, entity, but actually God's heart for the empire, the persons of the empire to be redeemed but for the imperial structures to be dismantled, for a new humanity and new creation to be born again. That's a, what I call as a kingdom-oriented vision we see from Palestinian Christians. Mm. Well, we need a little bit of that everywhere in the world, don't we? Mm. Mm. Definitely. Definitely. That's why I believe uh, some people, when they look at what we do, especially like your uh, ministry, uh, think it's idealism, mm. doing all this work, even turning weapons into useful tools. That's idealism. But I think God is calling us to be idealistic. God is calling us to a perfect world where he's a king, and we are all living in harmony together. Yeah, it's interesting, the things that we think are reasonable. Um, and, you know, when people say it's not reasonable to uh, think of loving someone like uh, a group like Hamas or a group of people that have done something terrible. And you think, uh, actually, it's not reasonable to think that we're going to arrive at some magical peace by killing other people's children. Like that, that's unreasonable, right? Like history has shown over and over that violence perpetuates more violence, that hatred per perpetuates more hatred. And I was thinking of that letter that you and others uh, circulated and drafted. And one of the things that struck me, Yusuf, is that as, as I read it, how deeply anchored in Jesus it is, centered around Jesus. Obviously, that's uh, our heartbeat at Red Letter Christians. 
um, but also deeply rooted in a theology of nonviolence, right? Um, that's uh, there. There's hundreds and hundreds of years old. This this framework for thinking about how we interact with evil and even the violence that's been unleashed on Palestinians in so many different forms over hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, and that letter, you know, is up on our website. It circulated everywhere. But it's a call to action, right? It's a call to remember our faith as Christians and to stand up in the name of Jesus uh, for peace and for the dignity of everyone right now, right? Do you want to say more about that or how, you know, I think the content of it is is so powerful. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, thank you for also highlighting our letter. Uh, you know, as Palestinian people and Palestinian Christians for so long, we have been marginalized. Um, Israel built the wall to separate the Palestinian and high Palestinians from the entire world. And we are hidden from even our Christian brothers and sisters, and uh, we have been even demonized and dehumanized by them. Our voices, our cries for the last 75 years have been completely um, ignored. Uh, I remember one missionary who used to to serve in, in, in Lebanon and Tiberias once said that Palestinian Christians feel betrayed by the Christian West. Mm. And I can say that we still feel this betrayal uh, because of the unconditional, uncritical uh, support that Christians in the U.S. in particular and in Europe uh, have been offering to the colonial regime uh, of Israel for the last 75 years, which has become uh, very critical for the ethnic cleansing of, of Palestinians, even Palestinian Christians. Uh, Naim Atik, who is a Palestinian theologian, uh, talks many times about three Nakbas. When Palestinians experienced Nakba in 1948, they experienced not only humanitarian and identity Nakbas, catastrophes, but also faith Nakba. And the faith Nakba, the Palestinian experience, because how the Bible was weaponized against them and has been weaponized against them for so long. In the last month or so, or even uh, three months, we have seen uh, evangelical preachers using the word of God to justify the genocide taking place in Gaza. And as someone who has family in Gaza, I have uh, my parents, uh, my young uh, nephews and niece who are sheltering at the church, who have seen the atrocities, who have lost uh, someone, who have lost friends. I can't imagine how the Bible, which is supposed to be the good news, became the catastrophic news for us. And not only that, but even Israeli weapons are now called the gospel. The gospel, which have uh, committed atrocities in Gaza, killing hundreds, uh, if not thousands, of people. With that in mind, you know, the whole um, Western ignorance of the Palestinian context, the justification of occupation and colonization and the genocide, and the experience we see on the ground, we felt we have to say something. We have to be the prophetic voice calling our brothers and sisters. According to the Bible, you know, Jesus asked us to go and speak to our brothers and sisters. We have done this over the last 40 years at least. However, in these times, we had to speak, and we wrote this letter collectively after time of prayer. 
and of course consultation with other brothers and sisters in Christ in order to call on the Western Church to listen and to repent because the ways that uh, it, uh, it has uh, supported the colonial regime in its violence and occupation is unjustifiable anymore. And our calling is not for a just war, because I believe just war is just another example of imperial structures and imperial theological justification of killing other people who are created in God's image. But for focusing on the message of the prophets and Jesus Christ, which is kingdom message that sees the face of God in our enemies and our friends. Mm. And we see that everyone is redeemable. Mm. Every human being is redeemable. And that's God's heart. Mm. And the way in order to fulfill our mission as the children of God called to be peacemakers, ambassador of the message of the kingdom, through spreading justice or calling for justice and advocating for um, what I call it's um, genuine peace, not cheap peace that doesn't want to pay the price of justice, mm -hmm. but genuine peace who is willing to take the long route mm -hmm. and take the whole process in order to bring about just peace, a genuine one that brings also and pairs the fruits of reconciliation and healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, know, what you were saying what you were saying earlier about the cost of the body of Christ being separated, you know, by walls and by narratives and often by lies, uh, I, I think is so crucial in so many contexts that, that we simply haven't been able to read our story together and to understand it, you know, through someone else's eyes, through a different experience. And, um, uh, you know, it struck me, I, I think the spirit might be at work and that it just so happens that we had in our reading this morning, uh, the, the story of the calling of Abraham, uh, which talks about land and is often, you know, misused to uh, justify many of the things you were just talking about. So I wonder if you would just read that story with us from a Palestinian <laughs> Christian perspective this morning, just kind of invite us into what that, how that story speaks to you and your experience. Wow, this is, this is really amazing because when we read this story in particular, there are many uh, misinterpretations around it. But let me begin with uh, just a little background. If we read Genesis 11, we notice that Abraham family was already on the move. Mm. And in Genesis 12, God speaks. So God is talking to a family of migrants who are leaving their hometown or maybe displaced family leaving their hometown and taking the route to Canaan hoping that they will find a better life. And God, in the midst of that crisis, speaks to Abraham. And God speaks to Abraham, doesn't speak to Israel. Mm. Just to be very clear, what I've heard from many Christian, uh, uh, Christian evangelicals in particular in the U.S., that if you bless Israel, God will bless you, and if you curse Israel, God will curse you. No, that's not the Bible. The Bible says to Abraham, According to Abraham's faithfulness to God, it's not unconditional. It's based on Abraham's commitment to God's covenant, that God will bless Abraham. And from Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God is using a migrant displaced family mm. in order to bless all the families of the earth. 
and uh, tie it back to Palestinian theology because I think the rest of the the uh, Genesis 12 is very important when God speaks to Abraham about the offspring because we have a good Jewish friend that we really trust. His name is Paul, who was a Pharisee, and he studied at the hands of the best teacher of the law in the first century. He was a Jewish who knew the law and the books and the tradition very well, who reads in Galatians 3.16. And uh, just to be very clear, Galatians 3.16, Paul's talking about the offspring of Abraham. Mm. And he draws attention that here it's a singular, which is original in Genesis 12, right? In a singular offspring, not offsprings. And who's the offspring, according to Paul? Not Israel, not the Hebrew people, mm. Jesus. Mm. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the God of Abraham. And from the beginning, Jesus God called Abraham to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Jesus is the offspring, the true offspring of Abraham. That through righteousness, Abraham believed in Jesus and foreseed Jesus. And now through Jesus, we are um, owed to be blessing to all the families of the earth. Mm. I think, uh, unfortunately, this text has been weaponized again against the Palestinian people for so, so long as a result of misinterpretation or certain ideologies, especially in the West. Uh, we cannot just uh, dismiss the fact that North America is built on a settler colonial ideology. Mm-hmm. North America was seen as the new Canaan and the Puritans saw themselves as Israel and the Israelites who are occupying, invading Canaan and used those texts for so long to justify the colonization and the uh, inhalation of a, of a concluding uh, many groups of people and cultures. The same happening to Palestinians. Mm. We cannot continue reading that text out of the context of God, the Alpha and the Omega, that the Christ is the essence, is the heart, is the God of the whole text, is the God of Abraham, is the God of the New Testament who wants to bring liberation, redemption, renewal to the entire world, rather than reading the text in ethnocentric way that supports only certain claims that doesn't, in fact, glorify God or faithful to the message of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Well, when when we think of uh, those were those are some powerful words. Thank you, brother. And I, I think as you, you know, before we were live on here, you were talking about um, the danger of what's being done, the the damage that it's doing to the Christian witness. Um, so this is about Palestinian lives and the lives of families and children in Gaza, the the work for peace. But it's also about the distortion of the Christian faith and you the, the, it being used to camouflage um, 
some really terrible things and to justify some terrible things. And we, John and I and Red Letter Christians, we've all been working around uh, the countering Christian nationalism that's rooted in this kind of idea, you know, of of exceptionalism, that God, that God has some messianic purpose for America in the end times. It also is retroactive. It's kind of not just a theology, but a mythology, right? Of how, yeah. like, not, we don't want history to be as it was. We want it to be as we wish it was. So we're going to retell history. We're going to uh, tell that uh, doctrine of discovery and what, what happened here. But there's also this kind of Israeli exceptionalism, right? In, in light of some of the history of the things that we see in scripture. And there's this, um, this danger in any nation state um, um, being seen as God's messianic hand because it actually replaces Jesus, right? Like Jesus is the Messiah. And when we begin to distort and, uh, co- you know, create this uh, collusion of American nationalism or Israeli nationalism, that this is, this is actually God's messianic force in the world. Boy, um, it it um, we can do a lot of terrible things, but it also does so much damage to our faith, right? And 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 uh, one of the things that that also struck me from a friend of ours that has been a real prophetic voice on many things, um, but when it came to what was happening after October seventh, um, uh, he basically just said, um, "Who am I to judge? You know, let Israel do what Israel wants to do. We can't uh, we can't." Um, critique Israel. But one of the things in this entire essay, it never mentioned Jesus a single time. And 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 that that really stunned me, right? That that here's someone that's been a Christian leader, so based in Christianity as he's you know, critiqued even Donald Trump and others. But in this instance, it's like there's this theology or, or you know framework that superseded uh what What's so anti-Christ, right? It's it's against everything we see in the Sermon on the Mount and the life of Jesus. You cannot defend the bombing of hospitals and killing children, and uh, so it just it blows my mind. But I don't know if you want to say more about the what's at stake with the Christian witness right now with what's happening there. Yes, uh, first of all, I want to highlight something you've ju- just said, uh, and it's actually tied to what I said earlier. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. And for some people, there's this whole division between God's work with the people of the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament. And they completely, and sometimes they accuse Palestinians of replacement theology, as you know. However, they dismiss the fact that they are uh, replacing Jesus, who's the Alpha and Omega, who's the God of all, who's the God of Israel and God of the church, with national ideology. Mm. which is very disastrous and threatening the witness uh, of the church. And I think some people believe, maybe track back, some people believe that um, they can love their Muslim neighbors and they want to see them saved by Christ and they want the whole Middle East coming to Christ. At the same time, they are supporting the killing and the murder of many Palestinians and many people in the Muslim world. Which for me, like uh, this complete uh, dichotomy in the Christian faith, in the Christian mind, you know, we still want to love, but at the same time, you want to kill. And uh, you preach the good news 
for for all people. At the same time, it seems to be exclusively only to a certain a group of people. And what we have seen in the last three months, in particular in the last three months, I think it became more and more obvious. People, especially non-Christians, are fed up with the nationalist, uh, very fundamentalist narrative that we read and see and hear from the U.S. evangelicals. And in fact, I've seen and I've read about how people are now even are not interested in Christianity because of that matter. I think Christianity has nothing to do with those kinds of preaching and messages being made. You know, the message of Christianity is based on Christ himself, the loving and the meek king. Mm. Uh, However, when we, uh, and I think many of you have listened to Mondar's message, it was very short, prophetic, Many Muslim and Christian brothers and sisters who were on the edge with the Christian faith, they felt that God is speaking through Mandar to them because God cares for the uh, hurts and pains and wounds of the Palestinians. Uh, That the message of God is about justice, reconciliation, and healing to the people of, of Gaza, as much as also to the Israelis. I don't want mm. to dismiss the Israelis either, because God loves Palestinians and God loves Israelis. God loves everyone. God so loved the world. Um, and I believe the nationalist, um, this whole idea of ex- uh, exceptionalism and a chosenness only harms the witness of the gospel. And I I kind of bring up Acts 1 and Acts 1 because we see that Jesus spends 40 days teaching the disciples about the kingdom of God, right? 40 days. And this is very clear how Luke writes it. However, before Jesus uh, ascends to heaven, they ask him one single question. I wish they asked him about how we can expand the kingdom, how we can reach the kingdom. They asked him, Jesus, when will you restore the kingdom to Israel? This is very exceptionalist, very exclusive. The whole idea of chosenness after three and a half years still stuck in the heads and minds of the disciples. However, Jesus takes it the other way and tells them, you will receive the power, the dynamite, not of U.S.-made missiles that will kill civilians in Gaza in order to bring the kingdom of God, but you will receive power of the Holy Spirit, God's power. So they can go and make disciples to the ends of the earth. The message of God is not about, again, it's not about your chosenness, because we are all came chosen. We are, as a human race, as a creation, we are chosen because we are made by God, and God loves and cares for all of us. And if we shift this mentality from nationalist, uh, exclusivist to more inclusive, and have this Christ-centered idea and God macro vision for the universe, I think we can carry on with the message of the kingdom to the ends of the earth and become truly ambassadors of Christ and reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's powerful. I think you're you're really offering us something that's important in every place, this gospel for all nations. Because one of the things we've learned, you know, we, we learned this back... Uh, 
in uh, 2003 that when you take seriously this challenge to the nationalism of whatever place you're in, we, we, we're Americans, you know, our, our country was uh, in 2003 going to wage a war in Iraq. And, you know, in following Jesus, we were called to challenge that. You get called anti-American. Mm. You challenge it in Israel today, you get called anti-Semitic. But in whatever place, you know, you, you, you when this challenge of the national identity of the gospel comes, there's something that, that defends against that and says, you're trying to attack me. You're trying to attack my identity. And I, I wonder if you could speak to the way mm. that the gospel is actually for the people who are being challenged, right? I mean, that's what I had to learn. It, we were, it wasn't anti-American. It was, it, was, it was helping to save me as an American from the ways that my Americanness had tied me into the sin of the world. Yeah, that's good. I think it's the Bible is pro-Christ and mm -hmm. pro-God. And I think this is where our identity has to be. It's not to grow America or American first. Mm. Um, I wish the whole idea of let us make America great again comes like let us make Christ at the center of America again and in and, and politics and the church rather than certain people and the presidents and personals and uh, ideology becomes at the center of the church, informs our reading of the Bible. The Bible informs our politics and our lives and our ethics. Mm -hmm. And truly, um, what I feel is needed at the church, and especially, you know, I have friends who unfriended me because I, I spoke with them word of love, uh, just challenged their... Uh, their own understanding of of Palestine. They unfriended me because of that. Well, I wasn't attacking uh, their Americanism or their Christian evangelical I ideas. What I was calling them into is to see Palestinians through God's vision. So, yes, when we speak truth to power, we are not anti-American. We are not uh, anti-Semitic. We are not anti-Palestinian. We are not Islamophobic. In fact, we speak this out of love. And love seeks truth. Mm. Love speaks the truth. Mm. However, when I only um, give you the words that you like to hear, the, the words that affirms your beliefs, even if they are wrong, that's not love. Uh, that's actually poisoning uh, to, to our faith and poisoning to our uh, nation. You know, as as Palestinian who lived in the States for several years, I love the United States of America. I love the American people. And the only thing that I wish to see that God's kingdom prevails in, in America. Mm. That God becomes the king and the ultimate king over America and the entire world. Mm. That we see the entire world and the U.S. through the lens of God not through the lens of this identity crisis of who is who and who's against who, but how we can all be pro-Christ and pro the kingdom of God. I don't know if you can see that. I've got a, one of the many shirts on my wall back there, Yusuf, is a, a, there's one uh, near the top that's got a, a donkey crossed out and an elephant crossed out and a lamb uh, circled on it. Uh, just kind of a reminder that, 
um, hopefully, you know, for all of us who follow Jesus, Jesus becomes that central identity that, tra- you know, transcends the political parties and systems and structures and categories and camps. Um, but it's also one of those things that it's a reminder that a lot of what we're talking about right now is not about conservative or liberal. It's not about left and right, but right and wrong. And being able to name the fact that, you know, our our current administration under Democratic leadership just uh, gave $147 million um, to fuel the war uh, that's happening there. Um, we we kind of did that in Iraq, too. We were actually fueling both parties in the Iran-Contra scandal, fund, funding like uh, all kinds of death. Um, and some of these bombs are made, you know, we, we just found out some of the bombs are made two hours from where I'm recording this morning here in Pennsylvania. So um, we we've, our empire uh, has very, been very much uh, um, a, a driving force behind the violence that we see. And, you know, I, I remember on one of these calls that we were on, Yusef, you you and Shireen had shared, you know, how personal this was. And I, I can remember one of the images that you put on the screen of all the folks that um, you all know and love that ha- whose lives have been either impacted or um, they've been killed in, in this current war and violence. And um, there's that old saying, like, wh- where we sit determines what we see. Um, and I think part of the issue here is that a lot of folks are hearing about October 7th and the hostages and the families that are calling for their loved ones to be released, which we are all calling for. Um, but not everyone is um, has a pulse on the on the the tragedy that's kind of every day having new iterations and new trauma um, uh, folks that are having surgeries without anesthesia, holding cameras and flashlights in the dark, um, now the food and, and humanitarian aid crisis. So um, I, don't, I don't know if you want to say more about um, what's happening right now, but also like how people can show up, you know, how people can, is, is are there things that people can do right now from, uh, there's folks that have tuned in from all over the world uh, this morning. In fact, there's one person that said she's a medic that's worked in Gaza. So I think a lot of folks are kind of looking, trying to figure out what we can do to support right now. Uh, yes, uh, but maybe I can share the screen in order to put faces on uh, yeah, the yeah, story. We'll, we'll help do that. Just a second. Um, because I want people to see the faces of uh, those who were lost, especially at the Orthodox Church. Um, about two months ago, uh, because I think it's it's very important. Um, and these are uh, just few of the people who were killed in an Israeli airstrike uh, near the church vicinity, the Orthodox Church in Gaza, um, about two months ago. Uh, Eighteen people were killed people who uh, personally I know, people who I grew up around, and some of them went to school together. Um, And I can tell you entire families were wiped off the civil record. Literally, uh, entire families, um, my friend and his wife and his children uh, were killed in that airstrike. And of course, you can see even babies uh, were killed. So since October 7th, 
Israel has been committing a genocide uh, in the Palestinian territory, in Gaza in particular. I cannot dismiss what's happening in the West Bank. Because even before October 7th, Israel almost killed 200 Palestinians in the West Bank, where Hamas has no power. But just to remind people that the Palestinians for the last 75 years have been going and enduring an Israeli colonial um, domination that have affected our every tiny teeny in our life. But since October 7th, Israel has killed more than 9,000 children and infants. Um, and the numbers uh, nowadays for the total people who were killed, roughly 22,000. And around 10,000 are still under the rubbles or, and their bodies uh, are unrecovered. Beside 50,000 and more are injured. And as Shane said, uh, in the last 85, 86 days, Israel hasn't allowed some critical aid to enter into the north of Gaza Strip and Gaza City, which has caused a complete power outage, resulting also that many surgeries at hospitals had to be done on phones, lights, um, and anesthesia, some critical also medical aid uh, was, wasn't was allowed to Gaza. So a pregnant woman had to do C-section without anesthesia. Can you imagine that? A few days ago, even the NTD uh, bodies, which usually you're giving to pregnant women uh, upon their delivery in order to carry babies later, and the antibodies, uh, they couldn't be found in Gaza. So women are giving birth with anticipation now that they cannot give birth to another child. They cannot become mothers again. Hmm. The atrocities, the stories, the hurt, the pain that we hear and we see on the news is unbearable. Um, and as someone who's, who has family, they're sheltering at the Orthodox Church for the last 85 days with a lack of food, lack of clean water. Uh, they are drinking for the last two weeks at least contaminated water and they know that but there is no other option um, my parents my sister and her children have to drink that water because there is no alternative and very limited supply when it comes even to ch children food and infants food I have a nephew who is four months old and my sister since the beginning of the Israeli uh, genocide couldn't find formula for him. Mm. At four months old, they tried to feed him rice uh, just to just to provide food. Uh, and of course, I can think many are here are moms and can understand that breastfeeding in a war and with all the emotional and uh, tragedies and the trauma can be a really tough task. Mm. Um, so can you imagine this is not only the story of my sister, but almost 50,000, even if it's not more, of infants uh, who were born and needed that uh, very important food in the last two months. So the destruction, again, that has happened to Gaza in the last 
86 days is beyond what we can imagine. Almost 70% of all the houses and house units in Gaza are completely destroyed or cannot be inhabited anymore, need some serious rebuild. And now, with this number, you have almost 90% of Gazan population displaced and more than 1.5 million people who have no place to go. Even after the end of this war, they will still be displaced and homeless. Um, and just keep in mind and put this into perspective, we want for all the hostages to return. That's our desire. And I believe that Jesus, when he proclaimed for release to all prisoners, this is, speaks to us as Palestinians. We want to see the Israeli who are hostages uh, released, but at the same time, the Palestinians who are hostages equally released. Freedom for all. And that's right. Uh, you have more than uh, almost 10,000 Palestinians detained in Israeli prisons as political prisoners. Only because they are Palestinians. Many of them are because only they are Palestinians. And by the way, since October 7th, almost 5,000 of them were detained. So Palestinians uh, own 30 Israeli hostages. In exchange, Israel has detained more than 5,000. And I think you have seen the photos and recordings uh, of Israeli soldiers being naked. Palestinian, even children, and taking them on trucks to detention camps and treating them inhumanely. That's not what's supposed to happen. And that sh should not have happened at all. And one, one person asked me, what was the proper response that Israel should have done uh, in response to Hamas? I said, no, there is a good way only to reflect on the reasons that made the Palestinians or Hamas uh, commit such uh, a horrific attack on the Israeli citizens. There should have been a reflection on what Israel has done wrong for the last 75 years that resulted in that pain and trauma that made some desperate Palestinians do such a, um, uh, an attack on Israeli settlers and, and Israeli military uh, bases. And according to that reflection, I believe Israel will reconsider its occupation of the Palestinian and restrictions on the Palestinian's life. Believe me, if we have a peace agreement that is just for all Palestinians and the Israelis, this would have happened, right? But mm -hmm. Gazans for the last 18 years, 17 or 18 years, have been living under inhumane blockage and occupation of Israel that is controlling every aspect of their life. And people cannot imagine how delicate the Israeli occupation, even in counting the calories for Palestinians who live in Gaza, counting the calories only to make them survive, stay alive, not to flourish. And 50% of those Palestinians who grew up in Gaza, and by the way, many of them, I believe, also part of the uh, militant groups that are fighting in Gaza, they grew up in uh, a concentration camp. They, they haven't had the opportunity to experience life with abundance and freely. Uh, they grew up only knowing that they are refugees, families displaced from 1948 because of the Israeli settler colonialism. They live in refugee camps. 
they have almost no prospect for a better future because of the Israeli occupation, because they don't have the right to return to their homeland. There was about 50 or even more unemployment rate among them. And then you expect them just to, to oh, in the nicest American way, uh, to suck it up and just keep going. Like, uh, just be thankful that you are surviving and you're living, uh, you are living in the concentration camp. Yeah. That's That was unrealistic and it's still unrealistic. And I think the only way forward is to dismantle to dismantle the colonial regime and these ideas of domination and occupation and finding way. It will be tough, long, but it has to be taken with intentionality in order to, um, to commit for just peace and reconciliation between all the Palestinian people. And I think Palestine, Israel, the whole entire land can be an example of God's vision for the kingdom in, in Revelation, all people living together, where all the guns have uh, we taken away and invest more money in education, reconciliation, healthcare, and in order to bring up a new generation of people who appreciate life and love each other and love their neighbors. Well, you have invited us to practice a radical hope, certainly at the beginning of this year, uh, but first by facing a reality that is often denied to many people around the world, certainly those of us in the United States. Um, it's a hard reality to face, and uh, it brings me back to the psalm this morning, where the psalmist mm. says, wake up, God. I mean, how can you how can you see this sort of inhumanity continue day after day, year after year, and not cry out to God to wake up and do something and as we uh, often find when we when we pray these prayers to God, God speaks to us. Uh, I'm trying to do something through you, through you. So you're you're inviting us um, to take that seriously this morning, and we we deeply appreciate it, brother. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so much. You know, I I remember Mitri Rahab, who you had a few a uh, few weeks ago. And his book, Faith in the Face of Empire, challenged Christian understanding of hope. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes hope seems something on the air. Uh, it's it's unreachable, uh, sometimes unrealistic. And uh, Rahib defines hope as faith in action. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, we have to live out our faith and put it into action in order to real to realize our hopes. And mm-hmm. I think that's what God is calling us for. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's not calling us to only to believe in the kingdom, but seek the kingdom first. Seek, mm-hmm. it's an action. And uh, I believe in this community, this uh, work and ministry you're doing, and this is our old, uh, I think, commitment, is to seek first the kingdom of God and what represents the values of the kingdom of God and what it glorifies the king of that kingdom who is God. Mm. I was just doing my workout listening to a little Rich Mullins. I don't know if you listen to uh, Rich Mullins, Yusef, but he's got a song that says, Faith without works is like a song you can't sing. Woo! A song you can't sing. So, uh, 
Yeah, and and you and I think so many folks over there have shown us um, what good theology can look like in the face of empire. Um, it was a wonderful conversation with Mitri where he was talking about what it means to be chosen, right? And um, so, uh, like God choosing the poor and the grieving and the displaced, and saying, "I'm with them." So, whoever we've locked out on the other side of the wall, God's probably on the other side with the people that we've locked out. And right now, certainly, God is with those grieving families, many of whom you know. You've just shown us a picture of those lives lost. That God is hurting with those who are hurting right now. God is under the rubble. Um, so, y'all keep. Keep listening to our friends uh, over there who have so much to uh, to uh, offer us in deepening our own faith. I think of even folks that you mentioned this morning, Yusef uh, uh, Naim Atik, who's been a great uh, theologian. Um, Jean Zaru, as we think of the the um, you know the Quakers that we read about this morning, she's an incredible Palestinian Quaker leader. There's there's so many other folks. So let's keep. Um, uh, singing the song of our faith together, joining you in every way that we can. Uh, we'll, we'll be uh, at Red Letter Christian showing all kinds of other ways folks can support and stand in solidarity, put feet on our prayers. Uh, and and uh, Yusuf, anything else? We're looking forward to reading your your dissertation, my brother. Um, but any, any other ways folks can follow you or uh, Bethlehem Bible College, other work over there? I mean, I was even thinking we might just need a whole... Palestinian theology course that we offer online, Red Letter Christians and others can continue to learn together from folks like you, man. Uh, this is a great idea. Let's put it into plan. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's, it's very important to listen. Uh, listen to the Palestinian stories and Palestinian cries, even when it feels uncomfortable, even when they are challenging our pre-assumptions and our own uh, our default theology that we have received and grew up with. Uh, I think uh, there's a lot we can learn from one another. We have learned for centuries from the West and American missionaries. I think it's time for the West to learn from Palestinian people who are capable also of representing themselves and speaking the word of truth from the mm -hmm. context of hurt and um, occupation and Palestinian Christians like Jesus and the disciples live under occupation, brutal domination of a foreigner power. And they still committed to Jesus and they're still committed to the message of nonviolent peace or creative resistance with a prophetic voice. So this is first. Second, uh, it's very important to put faith into action. In whatever way you see with the with the capabilities you have as individuals and as organizations in order to demand this, uh, the American government to um, stop the war. Mm. Uh, third, please hold your government accountable. Mm. Uh, hold your government accountable uh, because I think the U.S. as one of the great power in the, in the world has also to manifest responsibility uh, to live or and operate uh, in responsibility, especially when it comes to the Palestinians, because the U.S. always talks about, oh, we are, we are supporting two-state solutions, but at the same time, they are supporting the dismantling of this, this hope for two-state solution. 
So it's very important also to hold the American government accountable. And let me end with with um, something very important. And I think for all of us as Christians committed to the mission and vision of God through the person of Christ and for God's kingdom, that peace is is the fruit of justice. Hmm. And there is a, a very important example in the Bible to say that. Jesus had to become the justice of God on the cross in order for us to be reconciled with God the Father and with one another. We cannot take uh, a shortcut. We cannot take a detour. And for us to work for peace, have to start with advocating for justice. Mm. And uh, I believe we can work together hand in hand, shoulder in shoulder, in order to glorify God's name through uh, speaking for a new humanity and new creation in our world. Mm. Thank you, brother. Powerful words. I, I think of that that quote from Martin Luther King that, that uh, echoes what you just said, where he, he said, power without love is reckless and abusive, and love without power is sentimental and anemic. So we need to put some flesh on love right now. And and uh, thank you for, for being with us, man. We're going to continue to look for ways that we can team up. And we'll you, you just keep an eye out, y'all, for that online course uh, <laughs> that you'll be able to take. And liberation, Jesus, liberation theology from Palestine. So this is our closing prayer today from, from Common Prayer. Thank you all so much for kicking off the new year. I'll let Jonathan sing us out, but the we end the day on January 1st with this prayer. Lord, help us answer your call as readily as our father Abram, that we might extend your blessing throughout our community and world. Remind us that the places where we find you become altars in our world. Amen. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.